The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, Glory, hey, this is Dudley. Good to be back with you again. Looking forward to our discussion today as we talk about uh, living in profound times. Uh, There are some profound things going on. One is, uh, you know, it's really sad this year that we had to uh, cancel for the first time in 25 years, cancel leadership expedition uh, because of the COVID thing and just everything was building up. So we, even though we had uh, the largest group of guys coming in 10, 15 years and we'd revamp curriculum, we were so excited about it and we had to cancel it. And it was a heartbreaker for everybody. And uh, so, one of the things we do at uh, one of the books that's required there is Orphans No More, Learning to Live Loved. It's a little book I, booklet I did several years ago. It's so, so, so important. It's so important we, we have the guys to read it. We go through it with them. I mean, there are other things they have to read and do as well, but it's one of them. I, w- I wanted you, if you have not read this book, I want you to get it. Order it. Uh, and read it and use it as a tool to think about, meditate on, help your people with. Because you see, we were created to be sons of God and to live in that kind of privilege and responsibility. But when sin came in, we were orphaned. That is, we were pushed outside of the Garden of Eden, of actually for our protection, but but man began to live in the alienation of his own mind. And he, in the alienation of his own mind, he began to speculate about God and felt like an outsider rather than an insider. And ever since then, man has been trying to do something to get back on the inside. And nothing he can do will accomplish that. And so God had to send another Adam and he made it possible for us to be sons of God. And that's not just a title. That's a relationship. It's an intimacy. That's what this book's about. So I want you to get that. It'll be helpful to you. Read it. Help help others get it. Uh, okay, two or three things coming up. Ladies, yes, we are having the treasure hunt weekend. Yes, we've talked to our medical consultants and whatever, and they say, look, uh, until a vaccine comes and whatever, we're going to have to deal with this uh, coronavirus thing and we'll deal with it straight up and as helpful and protective as we can, but we are not going to shut down life. That is our attitude. So we're going to do everything we can at the ladies retreat to keep all you girls safe. And uh, we, we have someone there who will be co- constantly cleaning and sanitizing things. We, we have ultraviolet lights. You know, we got all kinds of stuff that we'll do all we can without ruining the weekend. It's going to be a great weekend for you, for you ladies. So plan to come, bring your friends, come ladies. You, this is always a fabulous time. So, uh, I know Karis and Mary Claire are looking forward to it. They've been planning on it. They, they got it all set up. So come ladies. Next thing up after that is the uh, Beyond Happiness weekend. It's the first weekend in October. 
And that's about our marriage stuff. And uh, Tom Hall and his wife, Joy, will be there helping. Kenny Thacker and his wife, Lynn, will be there helping. All of us here at KV are there. So, hey, uh, come. It's, it's more than just techniques about how to communicate better and whatever. It's looking at life from a gospel, uh, looking at marriage and relationships from a gospel perspective. It's always a fabulous weekend. So uh, register for that. Come. We'll, we'll do our best to keep you safe. Uh, then, and uh, we'll do a theological roundtable, but kind of have to be invited for that. If you want to be invited, you can request it. Uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's in October as well. And uh, uh, this year we are talking about developing a healing community, how the church is to be a healing community. Uh, in November, I'm going to do something I haven't done in several years, and I'm looking so forward to it. It's called A Weekend with Dudley. And it's just that I've had this uh, stuff God's been giving me. I feel like he's been giving me to say to the people, and I've had not had a lot of opportunity to do it. So this is going to be a weekend where I am your primary teacher. I'm going to get to share with you what I believe God is saying in these uh, times and you're going to get to ask me questions, and it's just going to be us. I, I love having other people in and to participate and other speakers and whatever, but this is you and me. And uh, so it's co-ed, in a, uh, you know, uh, it's men and women is what I mean. And so uh, register for that. You, you'll love that. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to talk about yet uh, because... But it will be life-changing for you, transforming. It has been for me. Okay? Hey, I want to thank those of you who have recognized that these are difficult times for ministries, uh, and you have uh, given. We have several people who have given who hadn't given in a long time, and I appreciate that. But we need more of you. We need more of you. And I, and I realize some have lost jobs, and and I, I, don't, I don't want you to take away what you need to give to me. I'd rather give to you. But we do need to keep things going here. And uh, <clears throat> if you possibly can, would you make a gift? Would you make an investment with Kerygma Ventures? I would appreciate it so, so much. And uh, you know how to do it. Call in, whatever. It'd be great if you could you know, get on a regular giving basis, of course. Uh, so anyway, I just want to say thank you and ask you to please consider if you haven't been able to give or haven't given to do it, okay? I was talking uh, the other day with a friend and I said, so how you doing? And her response was, wow, these are profound times. I hadn't used that word. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, that's ex that's a good word for these days. Th we're living in profound times. Well, what, what does profound mean? It it, it means uh, can be difficult. It's uh, difficult to fathom. It's hard hard to get a grasp on. It's too deep for the average observational uh, perspective. It's uh, it's deep seated. Uh, it's characterized by extreme feeling. Uh, that, that, that's, that is profound. That these are profound times. God is not wasting the pain that's going on right now. He, he's not just willy-nilly, you know, off in heaven somewhere going, I don't know what's happening down there. 
seems like they've gotten themselves into a mess. No, he is intimately and and deeply involved in what's going on. And if if he keeps, you know, there, there's a reference in scripture that he keeps our tears in a bottle. If he cares that much, he cares about what's going on in our lives. And so these are serious times. These are profound times. God is saying something that's more important than our comfort. Yes. And so we, we need to hear what he's saying. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting watching people uh, respond, the angry or shouting, the uh, fearful or fretting, uh, the predators or pouncing. <laughs> uh, sadly, the wise and mature are being ignored mostly uh, while we're looking for some kind of solution, answer, or somebody else to blame. So these are different different things going on. I, I will tell you this, these are the kind of times that expose true leaders, but you're gonna to have to look for them because the true leader is not out there promoting themselves uh, or his himself or herself. Uh, true elders uh, are recognized by the community. They don't push themselves. So, so, so my question is, okay, do we have any biblical precedent for what's happening today? I've heard people say, well, you know, these are the final days of history. These are the last days. These are the birth pains of the last moment. And so, you know, it's, it's the end of the world. I, I think that's a kind of a microscopic, uh, in kind of a selfish perspective, honestly. Uh, it could be, but I, it's not, it's not my view. Uh, is that uh, others are saying, well, it's the end of it's the end of the United States as a, a democratic republic. It's the end of our influence in the world. Uh, we we've been a leader, but now no longer will be. Maybe because God does shift. God does shift uh, nations around. Boundaries are, are changed. Uh, but but a biblical precedent. What what can we look to? Uh, could we say, well, these are days like the flood when God destroyed everything with the water? Well, I doubt it because he said he wouldn't do that like that again. Uh, he talked about a, a judgment of fire, but I'm not sure he's talking about a literal fire there. Uh, well, what, what about, the, what about uh, if it's not the flood, then uh, what about Egypt, when Israel was in Egypt and, and God led them out by the miraculous power and took them out of Pharaoh. Well, that was, that was fulfilled primarily. That was a story of Israel, the new Israel. That was a story of Israel deliverance and that was fulfilled in the cross, the ultimate blood on the doorpost, the ultimate lamb that was sacrificed, the ultimate deliverance. Uh, there's, there's some patterns there. But I do think it's legitimate for us biblically to, to find in the story of Israel, their whole, the whole journey from, from the time they were created all the way through, we can find there patterns uh, that help us understand what's going on now. There, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that the story of Israel is, is, is there. It happened. It really did happen. But it's there as an example 
for us to learn. And one of the things it says is so that we would learn not to be idolaters. That's 1 Corinthians 10 around verse 6, somewhere along in there. I, I, I think that may be where we should focus right now. And that's where I want to focus this month with you is what profound thing is God doing as it relates to us, his people, in relationship to where we live, possible idolatry and whatever. So, uh, so, so let's look at the story, the story of the Bible. Uh, it's the true story. It's the meta-narrative. It's the one that covers it all. And so let, let's, all, let's go all the way back to uh, original purpose. God created, and he created at the top of his creation, humans, Adam and then Eve. And as Adam and Eve made one unit, God create, created that pair as his son. And his son was created and the whole earth, the whole creation was created for that son to find delight and to be involved in development. I want you to remember those two words, two words that begin with D, delight and development. God's nature is that he created someone who could delight in him the way he delights in himself. God is a God of joy. He is a God of delight. He is a God of who is fully satisfied in himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, each satisfied in each other. And so he created Adam and Eve with that capacity to delight, to delight in each other, to delight in him, to delight in his creation, and to delight in developing that creation. That, that was God's desire. Uh, those who have a different aspect of God, you know, that he's an auger of some kind, that he's mad, you know, whatever. No, no, no. And, and those who buy into the whole myth of, you know, we were just, we just happened and it's evolution and there's no personal creator behind it. I, I mean, oh, okay, but that, that is, that's nowhere close to the truth. The truth is that God created and he created humans as his sons, that is a relationship, so that as sons we could relate to the Father, we could relate to the Son, we could relate to the Spirit, we, we could relate and we could relate to each other. So, uh, well, you know that God in creating his Son gave his Son uh, agency, so he, Adam and Eve could choose. So you know the story. I hope you know the story. The serpent in the, in the garden tempted and said, you know, God is not like you think he is. He's, uh, he's holding back. And so you ought to trust something else. And so they, they listened to the suggestion, the word of the serpent, the aid of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they became alienated in their mind toward God. And, thing, and, and, and as I said earlier, they became 
like orphans instead of sons. And in that orphan perspective, they spend their life trying to get back into the garden, get back what they lost. And they, 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 they're confused. They, they don't have the relationship with, with God that they were designed to have. They, they live in a world that was designed by God, and yet they don't understand the world they live in. And they still have the responsibility to develop this world, but they don't know how it works. They don't, they don't understand the laws that govern it. They don't understand the mechanisms that, that make it uh, function. They, they don't understand the origin. That, that, and so they're lost. They're, they're, like, they're like children in a mechanic shop. Now, what are these tools for? What, what, how, how, do you make, how do you make it run? And, and, and uh, so that's kind of been the, the nature of humanity. So, so God had another son, and that other son he called Israel. It, it was, it was, he started with Abraham and Abraham's son, Isaac, and then his sons and their sons and their sons and whatever. And they, they developed uh, or became a nation that God treated the whole nation as a son and gave the, the privilege of representing him on the earth to Israel. So they would represent him to all the other nations. Now, in doing that, God not only gave them that title, that responsibility, whatever, but he, he graciously gave them the laws that showed them how this creation worked. Okay, if you're going to deal with this creation, both animate and inanimate, you need to know some of the laws that make it work. So he gave them the law. So the giving of the law was one fantastic, gracious act of God to, to these people that he loved who he'd made his son. So, so he gave them the law. Uh, sometimes we, we, we denigrate the law. It's like, oh yeah, it's hard, you know, it's given to repress us and suppress us and all that. No, 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 no. It was a gracious act of God that says, you live in my world, it might be good for you to get my instructions on how I designed it, and I'll show you how it works. And uh, so in Deuteronomy chapter six, I want you to really pay attention to this. Now, sometimes you let your mind kind of drift when I'm reading the scriptures, like, well, he's reading the scripture, I wait till he starts explaining it. No, no, listen to this. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you're about to cross and to occupy. This is Moses. So God's saying, I'm going to give you the land. Give, give. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to teach you how to live in it. Okay? I want you to notice the so that phrases in this paragraph. So listen to it. So that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I'm commanding you. Why? So that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently so that it may go well with you. 
And so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord your God, the God of your ancestors has promised you. Okay, so God says, I'm giving you the law so that, so that you know how to live in the land, so you can make it prosper, so you can develop it, so you, you can find the very best. I, I really do delight in you. That's what you should hear from me. God is saying, I delight, I delight in you. I want you to enjoy the land. I want you to make the land flourish. I want it to be productive. I want you to live long in it. I want you to live, I want you to live uh, happy in it. Okay, so here, here's what he says, verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Okay. There's one God and he's got a name. He's not just any God. It's not the God of your choice or the God as you know him. No, there's one God and he's got a name. His name's Yahweh. We know that ultimately his name is Jesus, the son of God. Here is the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Notice all the verbs here. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're at your home or when you're walking in the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. What's he saying? He's saying these words are really important. These words are of ultimate importance. They, you're to do everything you can to Get these words in you, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your, in your words, in your actions, in your teaching, in your examples, you're, you're, because they are key to your doing well in the land. Uh, now, the Pharisees, you know, they, they, made, they put them in little things and put them on their heads and put them on their hands and whatever. That wasn't what Jesus, that wasn't what God was saying. You say, I want them in you, in everything you're doing. Okay, now here's a warning. Here's what we need to hear. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land that he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, again, a land with, to give you a land with fine, large cities that you did not build, Houses filled with all sorts of goods that you did not fill. Hewn cisterns that you did not hew. Vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you have eaten your fill, take care that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Lord your God, you shall fear, you shall fear. Him shall you serve, and by his name alone shall you swear. Do not follow any gods 
any other gods, any of the gods of the people who are around you, because the Lord, your God, is present with you, and he's a jealous God. The anger of the Lord, your God, would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you from the face of the earth. Now, these are serious words. You say, that's Old Testament. Yes, but that Old Testament, the substance of that Old Testament is, is carried into the New Testament, and that's what Jesus is about. For instance, when, the, when a lawyer asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Of course, he was asking him, trying to trick him. Jesus answered, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and your strength, and your neighbors, yourself. So he goes back and picks that up. So, so what's, what's so valuable about these words? Uh, I, uh, I want to point out that the essence of that right there. I mentioned it. Uh, here's what he says is the, here's 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 what you got to keep as a center. The center of the, of it all is this: that there's one God. He is to be loved, honored, served, and revered alone. Nothing is to be a rival. We are to love Him. Talks about intimacy here. We're talking about heart things. We're not talking about head things. We're not talking about behavioral things. We're talking about heart things. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. All your... Why? Because that is the only way that your heart can be satisfied. If God is the ultimate delight, why would he permit you to delight in anything less? That's why it says that the anger of the Lord will be kindled. It's like, God is saying, I, I, I have provided for you to be ultimately delighted and you're choosing to be partially delighted, which will ultimately turn into disgust, not delight. So, so when God says, I want you to love me with all your heart, all, he's telling you, this is the gift. This is what I am saying to you. I want to tell you how to get your heart back together. So it's, it's all disseminated. It's all diffused. I want, I want to get back to the center so that you, you're a whole person. Your mind, your heart, your strength, your soul, everything about you is centered in one thing. You're, you're to love God that way. Of course, you and I know that's hard to do. So God came, the person of his son, and he did it in his son. And then he gave us that life of Jesus so that by living by faith in him, we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and our mind strength. Simply because we have the life of Christ. And you can't do it apart from him. Because you get, you, you get pulled off into, into idols. Now, hey, I want to read you another scripture that relates to this. This is in Jeremiah where after Israel have done exactly, has done exactly what he warned them not to do. They've gone and they've taken in other gods and they've become idolatrous and uh, they're about to be taken out of the land. So, so Babylon has come along and they're, they're, God is using Babylon to purge Israel and 
so here's a word through Jeremiah, a prophet during that time. Thus says the Lord, do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth. But, but let those who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, faithfulness, mercy. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. So the Lord is delighted in mercy. He's delighted in justice. He's delighted in uh, righteousness on the earth. So, so, so I, I want you to see that God's whole purpose here is for our delight and our development and, and whatever. And that he's given, he's given us himself. He's given us instructions. He's given us his law, his word. Now we come to the New Testament. We say, well, we, we don't, we, we don't, we're not living by the laws of the Old Testament. Well, we are in that we are living in the fulfillment of them because when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, you, you'll be fulfilling all these others. And uh, so uh, these are not wrong. They're, 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 they're not complete. The complete word is, is Jesus, of course. And that's why he says in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, if you build your house on my word, why? Because Jesus' word takes all of these words into consideration, brings them all to fulfillment, and gives them to us in the, in the form of himself. He is the living word who comes to live in us. But as he does that, he continues to guide our lives and instruct us. So let's just talk about how, how it's possible maybe probable <laughs> that, that we have not paid attention to what Moses warned them about, what Jesus warns us about, that is idolatry. That when you come into the land, what causes you to go out after other sources of delight? What causes you to trust something other than God alone? What causes you to give your heart to something less than the ultimate of loving one God who has a name. His name is Jesus. Through Jesus, we come to know the fullness of who God is. What, what causes that? Well, it happens like this. You see, God gives you his laws, and these laws, when obeyed, produce good living. He said, so it may go well with you. You may live a long life. You, may, you, you can make it work. We get so enamored with it working and the fruit of being blessed that we feature the blessing, and we start worshiping the fields full of uh, olives, uh, the trees full of olives and the fields full of grapes and the, and the cities that we were able to build and the structures that we were able to put into place and the, 
and the jobs we are able to create. And, uh, and, and so we start seeing all of this stuff and we go, wow, that's, that's great. So now we focus on the blessing and then we focus on how did we get the blessing? We focus on the laws that produce it, like, you know, the law of sowing and reaping. That's just one of the laws that God gave. He said after Noah's deal, from now on, here's the way, that, here's the way it works in this world. Sowing and reaping, daylight and dark, seasons of the year. There's rhythms of life that I've put into it. Learn those rhythms and th things will go better. We learn a, ry a rhythm and then we worship the rhythm. I can't tell you how many times I've heard sermons, Bible studies, books written, videotapes of people who feature a principle, sowing and reaping. We've discovered the key to life, sowing and reaping. If you'll sow more, you'll reap more. You sow what you reap. So let's all get sowing so we'll all reap more. And, uh, and so we worship the principle of sowing and reaping. Why? Because, you know, it works. And we're about it works. And so we're, we're wanting to get the blessing and, and we forget the God who gave it. And we, and we forget that God gave you this so that you could delight in him and delight in each other, not delight just in the blessing. So yes, the laws of God help us know how to live in his created order. When we take the blessings of obeying those laws and make that the issue and then get all enamored, well, you know, here's a principle, work this principle, principle of reciprocity. You, give back, you get back what you give. Uh, you know, all of these kind of things. And, and sadly, that's what subject of so many sermons turned out to be are the principles, the laws, the steps, the formulas. Here, here's what you learn. And then, you know, uh, those kind of get, well, you, maybe you don't want to give those, you don't want to do those. You, you get where you don't want to give or sow because you got, you got a barn full of seeds. Like, I don't, I don't want to sow any of that. I want to keep it all. And so now you have to learn, you have to figure out some manipulative way to still get a blessing without following his way. So you do what the Pharisees did and they wouldn't give to their parents and, and they found religious laws to justify it. And, and so, uh, I, I mean, does it bother you to hear so, so much talking about, okay, I've learned the principle of the blessed life. Follow these principles. Your life will be blessed. What do I mean by blessed? Well, you'll have, you'll have more stuff and, and, and you'll have more comfort and you'll have more convenience and you'll have more influence and you'll have whatever, a bigger footprint in the earth and all of that. That's idolatry. It's idolatry. It is worshiping or trusting or delighting in something other than God himself. God wants us to delight in him. That's why he came as a person. Jesus didn't just do the miracles of bread and fish so the people could enjoy the bread and fish. He, he, he said, that's, he, that's what you want. You want to you want be here when I do another one of those miracles to get the bread and the fish. No, it was about me. I, I want you to know me. I want you 
want you to love me. I, I want you to be loved by me. I want you to understand the intimacy of genuine partnership between God and man. And, and so he sent Jesus. So, uh, so let me make sure I'm covering all that I intended to say to you here. So, so what happens to us is we subtly, we don't intend to be idolaters. We subtly move that way because we get so blessed, so enamored with the fact that God's laws work that we get enamored with the product of their working. It's like, yay, yay, I'm wealthy, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm, I'm okay. And so we start focusing on that. And the uh, problem with that is that idols can't provide any intimacy. You know, you take a piece of gold and put it in bed with you, it's still cold. It doesn't talk, it doesn't hug, it, do, it doesn't communicate, it doesn't share your pain. It, it, it's cold, it's, it, it doesn't speak, it doesn't hear, it doesn't taste. It's just there. You say, yeah, but if I, if I need something to buy, I've got the gold. What are you going to buy? Something else that won't that won't meet your needs. Because you see, the heart, listen to me, the heart that God put in you was designed to only be satisfied in a relationship with God. That's the only way your desires will be satisfied. It was designed that way. You're not designed to be satisfied in the religious part of your heart with God and in other parts of your heart to be satisfied in other things. Not even in marriage, not, not, not even in, in religious work, not even in ministry. No, he's a jealous God. He's jealous because he loves you. And he doesn't want you delighting in something that's going to turn into an idol. Because when you, when you have an idol, the idol will curse you. It will never provide what you, what you thought it would. It will mock you. It, it, it will put you down. It will disappoint you. It will ultimately produce in you disgust. And so God wants to keep us from, from idolatry. And so could, could these be days that God is profoundly revealing idols in our lives? Even the nation, is it an idol? Your uh, opinions, are they idols? Your, uh, your convictions, have they become idols? Your doctrine, has it become an idol? Now, am I saying you, you shouldn't have? No, you should, but it shouldn't be an idol. Uh, okay, so, so God says, I tell you, I love you too much to let you live Un, unmolested in the middle of idols because you, you'll just be dissatisfied and, and in your dissatisfaction you'll start eating on each other and destroying each other and ultimately you'll destroy creation because 
you, you go and do something and, and, and when you don't know the right thing to do, you'll do the wrong thing. And so instead of developing creation, you will destroy creation. And instead of, instead of developing the kingdom of God, you'll, you'll develop your own kingdoms and you'll start. And so, so God says, I, I love you too much to let you just live in the cycle of idolatry. So I'll, I'll purge the land. And God, in his mercy, purges the land. He did it when Cain sinned. He sent Cain away. He did it in the flood. He, he purged the earth. He did it uh, with Israel. When Israel disobeyed the covenant with God, Assyria and Babylon came. And though they were wicked nations, they purged the land. They cleansed the land. Why? Because God is... Mad? Well, because God says, I love you so much, I will not permit you to not delight in me and develop my creation according to my design. I will have a people who will do that. And that is his commitment. And God is absolutely faithful to his commitment. He will not give up on people until he finds a people who delight in him and who will be empowered then in that delight to develop his creation for his glory. So God is purifying and he is working toward that whole thing. So, uh, okay. So you say, well, what, what am I supposed to do, Dudley? All right, let's just go back. We'll take the Old Testament pattern because it's the same as in the New. And that is we are to, we are to acknowledge there's one God and he's got a name. He's not just any God. He's the God of the Bible. He was known by Israel as Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim. But eventually when God became fully visible and fully ex expressed, his name is Jesus, and he is the Lord. He is the one who is in charge of it all. He is the one who, who makes the final judgment. So we, we have one God, and we worship him with everything. He is our delight. We worship him with our heart. We worship him with our mind. We worship him with our strength. We worship him with the works of our hands. We, we, we worship him because only then, are we living by, by his design? So several words are used here in the Deuteronomy 6 passage. Love, serve, swear by. So he's the only solution to your heart's desires. If, if your heart's not being satisfied somewhere, there's an idol somewhere. Because the, only the heart set on him is fully satisfied. Secondly, he's the only... Serving him is the only endeavor worth messing with. It's the only thing that gives meaning in life. If you're, if you're trying to develop a vaccine for corona, God bless you. But if you're doing it for any other reason, then you're doing it as one of God's ambassadors and you're doing it for his glory, for the benefit of others. Uh, it won't provide the meaning. The only thing that gives meaning to our work is that we are serving him. Uh, 
you know, if you're, if you're preaching and you're doing it for any other reason than serving him, it won't satisfy. You'll, you'll ultimately burn out. You'll, you'll ultimately find something else to do. If you're, if you're a missionary for that reason, if you're, if you're building uh, an empire, it, it won't satisfy if you're not serving him. You say, you've already said that. I know it's so important. Okay, uh, and then the last thing is, by his name only shall you swear. You say, well, Jesus talked about swearing. Yeah, what, what is he, why did swearing ever get to be something to do anyway? Well, swearing means that I have an authority that, that's greater than I, and I am bringing that authority in on the situation. So essentially, to apply that, what, what I'm saying is, the only authority, the only person who has the last word in my life is God. Uh, he is my ultimate authority. I am not. Uh, my traditions are not. Uh, nobody's opinion is. Only God is my final authority. If that's true, it would mean that I would make every effort to find out what my authority is like and what he says. Because if God is the ultimate authority, what God says is my ultimate direction. That's, that's what makes good Bible students. I, I realize that I have gotten cart for the horse some in recent years because I have so focused, particularly with leaders, on interpretation, how to interpret scripture. <clears throat> it is important. I don't, I don't deny that. I think probably what I didn't say to them was the reason it's important is interpreting the scripture is a recognition that God has sovereignly recorded in the scripture his word to us, his revelation of himself and his actions to us. And the reason we want to interpret it is so we want to make sure we got it right. Because if he is the ultimate authority and what he says has the last word, word in my life, I want to make sure I heard what he says. That's why I interpret scripture. That's why I can't afford just to listen to some guy, guy who's entertaining on television and say, well, it says this, and he refers to some scripture out of context, and he's, and he's twisting it or he uses some translation that doesn't, doesn't matter. I can't afford to do that. Not because I'm mad with him, it's because I, I gotta have the I've got to have the word of God. It's the word of God who will not return to him without accomplishing what he sent it out to do. It's the word of God that stands when everything else falls. It's the word of God that created everything and sustains everything. It, it's, it's the word of God. I have to know it. And if I can find out that word through reading the scripture, I want to make sure I read it right. And so I'll do whatever I, uh, is necessary to, to learn how to interpret it properly. It, it's why I, I want to be a part of a community of, of believers who have said, God is my authority and his word is authoritative in my life. I want to be a part of that group because God speaks through them to me and he speaks through me to them. And, and there's that, that uh, reciprocal relationship. I, I, yeah, I need that. Why? Because God's word is authoritative. And because I live in a confusing world and I live with all kinds of voices 
coming at me from every direction and all kind of narrative being presented as this is how it really is. I, I, I face that all, all the time. So do you. We're living in a time right now where we got all kind of narratives about where this COVID come from, who's managing it, what's behind it, uh, who are the experts, who knows what they're doing, uh, what about the uh, racism, what about Black Lives Matter, what about about the conservative, what about the progressive left, what about this and that and the other? So you've got narrative after narrative after narrative coming at you. What's, what's a, hey, I need to know the word of God. I must, if I don't have that word, I'm, I'm, I'm a house built on sinking sand. But he who has these words of mine and does them, Jesus said, will be like a man who builds his house on a rock. And when the storms come, won't mess with it. Otherwise, you're building on sinking sand. So, so what days are we living in? These are profound days. These are days when God is saying, I love you too much to leave you partially satisfied with idols that will ultimately curse you, mock you. I am the Lord your God who gave you the land. I gave you life. I gave you your garden. I gave you your family. I gave you your, your talents. I gave you, I gave you everything. And, and you didn't, you didn't build them. You, I gave it to you. And I've also given you myself. And in giving you myself, I've given you the word of how you're to live in this land. That's Whatever else God is doing, that is what's happening during these days. Days of purging, yes. Days of purifying. But listen to me. Is there anything in you that wants to hold on to an idol that's less delightful than God himself? Why? Why would you hold on to a rock when you could have a piece of bread? Why would you hold on to a snake when you could have a fish? Why would you hold on to a mud pie when you could be eating chocolate cake? God says, trust me. I've got the best in store for you, but it's not the best the way the American dream determines it or your culture determines it. It's the best the way I determine it. And best is when you love me with all your heart, all your soul, your strength, and your neighbors yourself. I hope you've gotten something from this. Lord, you are our only Lord. You are our only, our only source. You, you created all of this. You're in charge now. As we look around, it looks like there's not not much evidence that anybody's in charge, except you. You are. You are doing something in our lives, and like always, you're doing something out of love, and you're doing something good. It's painful. It, it doesn't feel good. But you are good. And our desire is to love you with everything, to serve you, and you alone, and to let you be the final authority in our lives. That's our commitment, Lord. That's, 
that's the direction we want to go. And without you, we can't, we can't get there. But thank you. Thank you that you have given us a salvation and you work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Bless these people. Let them hear. Let them hear your word and be liberated and empowered by it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, well, thanks for being with me. Enjoy being with you and look forward to seeing you. Hopefully out at the Soro Escondido Ranch, if not somewhere, and uh, we'll, we'll get together again. Order the book. Until next month, this is Dudley Hall, Kerygma Ventures. I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.